lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre. Totters and has the day off. We have, though. Two very capable fill-ins you'll be hearing from in just a moment. Our old friend Josh Hammer, contributor here to Blaze TV, also with Newsweek. Jason Johnson, uh, former senior strategist for the Ted Cruz for President campaign. They will be joining us for the Dace Group Roundtable here momentarily. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And then you can start following Snap. Following us now on Parlor at Steve Dace, which is where all of us that are currently on Twitter that are slightly to the right of uh, Joe Biden's dementia, uh, we will all be there sooner or later once we all get banned. So you might as well claim your your screen name now at Steve Dace on Parlor and our brand new YouTube page, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. If you're looking for free clips of this show that you can sample yourself and then share with others, that's where you can go, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. I mentioned it is... The Dace Group Roundtable Feedback Friday coming your way next hour. But we begin, of course, with the Dace Group. Brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. I was reading this morning. That the cancel culture has now come for the Center for Infectious Disease, chaired by Dr. Michael Osterholm at the University of Minnesota, who has served in the last five U.S. presidential administrations. Why? Because they refused to take down their study of mask use and its lack of effectiveness from all over the world that they published back in April. And the cancel culture wants them canceled because, you know science and uh, wants it eliminated from the internet this is this is you cannot share a country with these people and and too much of corporate america frankly is funding these elements that's why when you have an opportunity to do business with those who share your value system and it doesn't happen unfortunately comprehensively in our culture sometimes you got to make a deal with the devil but when the opportunity lines up to line up with somebody who lines up with you, take advantage of it through Patriot Mobile, America's only conservative cell phone carrier. They share your values. They'll never charge you hidden fees. And unlike Big Mobile, they don't send your money to cancel culture, uh, Planned Parenthood, or any other cause trying to destroy your way of life. Get the same reliable nationwide service and support a country that shares your values and supports our Constitution. And switching is easy. Keep your phone number, bring your own phone, or buy a new one. And right now, when you join their family of freedom-loving Americans, you get free activation plus a free gift when you use the offer code steve so a free activation plus a free gift with the offer code steve and veterans and first responders you save even more so make the switch today 972 patriot is the number that's 972 patriot or go to patriotmobile.com slash steve again that's patriotmobile.com slash steve let's get to issue one bleep democrats say you say to a bout of a lot of millennials like myself, young people, who are on the fence of voting for Joe in November, what could you say to them? Vote like your life depends on it. On? 
because it does. The guy in the White House said in an interview that white people are killed by the police more than anyone else. That is clear BS, and it's really because he's tossing red meat to his uh, clan-like base that he needs so desperately to win uh, in, in November. When we talk about the power of melanated people, when we talk mm-hmm. about who we really are as guys and understanding right. that our melanin is so powerful and it connects us in a way that the reason why they fear black, the reason why they fear is because they, the lack that they have of it. They had to be savages. They had to be barbaric. They had, because they're in these Nordic mountains, they're in these rough uh, torrential environments. Mm. So they, they're acting as animals. Right. So they're the ones that are actually closer to animals. They're the ones that are actually the true savages. I'm calling out the census cowboy. So, if you see the census cowboy coming to your neighborhood, that's not a good thing. That means you got to step up and do your part. I want to also ask you about the violence this past weekend in Chicago, at least 60 shootings. The president jumped all over this, comparing it to saying that the city is worse than Afghanistan. Your reaction as you're trying to come to grips with all of this, of course. Well, look, um, if you go back over many years, um, President Trump has said a lot of disparaging things about the city of Chicago. He likes to use us as a, a political punching bag. But if the president was really committed uh, to helping us deal with our violence, he would do some easy things. For the most part, I believe, for the most part, you can trust respected medical authorities. You know, I believe I'm one of them, so I think you can trust me. We still need people to wear the mask in public. We still need people to keep social distance and isolation. Ryan, the one thing I want to try to get across today is we need to do that when we're in our homes also. Trump's COVID scandal makes what Nixon did at Watergate look innocent. Nobody died in the Watergate scandal. And just a reminder, for what it's worth, there is no editorial point of view here uh, on any of these newscasts on MSNBC in the daytime. What was your favorite dose of crazy pills this week? Jason Johnson, you get to go first, sir. What do you think? Well, I I have something off the list here. Texas, we just had our primary runoff on Tuesday. And Texas Democrats, in all their wisdom, nominated uh, M.J. Hager to be their nominee to go up against John Cornyn. And she just gave a, a great comment saying that the United States of America cannot stand on its high horse and criticize communist China over their treatment of the Uyghurs because our immigration system is basically a system of concentration camps. That's your Democratic nominee for United States Senate from the great state of Texas. And here's the thing that that illustrates. If you ran on some kind of alt-right nationalist message in, in any state in the Republican Party, they, I mean, they, they, they'd do anything they could so you would never win a nomination. But especially like in what's the, although we may be losing Texas in real time as we speak, but and and what Texas was until a few months ago, uh, the equivalent like a Massachusetts or a Connecticut, right? Like the Republican candidates in those states 
in some cases might be to the left of the Democrat. I mean, because that's what they think they have to do, right? To be relevant in those states. Democrats in these red states, man, are just like, let your balls hang out. Like, they don't care. They don't care. Yep. Like, there's no discretion. There's no, like, at least, don't you think we got to at least lie to them or pretend? Nope. No, not at all, man. I mean, it's just, you know, let your freak flag fly. They just don't. It's the same message. They all campaign everywhere in America and then govern accordingly on essentially all the same messages. They all just might might as well be named Nancy Pelosi because it's just all the same. It's all the same. They don't think yep. they have to strategize or anything, moderate on any level at all. Josh, what was your favorite crazy pill to swallow hard and take this week? So, you know, as usual, Steve, no shortage of content to choose from there. I mean, the MSNBC, no editorializing during the day. Like, do I live in the same universe as these people? I mean, I have cable news on the background all day long, and I can sure as all hell tell you that what is going on on MSLSD, as Mark Levin calls it, is certainly <laughs> editorializing from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. at the earliest, and obviously going to be later than that. But the single thing that stood out to me, and like I was just, sh- I don't know if you can see, I was like literally shaking my head. The interview, I don't know who it was, but like talking about melanin content. Nick Cannon, former former host of America's Got Talent, now the masked singer. And who, oh, by the way, right. was 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 married to uh, Mariah Carey, who's half white. So there's right. that. Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, right, of course. Yeah. Um, sorry, a bit of brain fart there. But I mean, that, that theory is that literally that theory of viewing the world. That your melanin, your skin pigmentation, that racial hierarchies are determined by your skin pigmentation, that is literally the John C. Calhoun belief. Yeah. That is, that is the antebellum slave, Stephen Douglas, Confederate Jefferson Davis view yeah. of the world. It's the part of Descent of Man that Darwin chose not to publish. Yeah, he left it out. Yeah, basically. That's what it is. Yeah. And I made this point in my column today where I framed it as intersectionality versus America. On the one hand, you have this intersectional identity politics and multiculturalist mindset where there are hierarchies of race, class, gender, religion or non-religion as the case may be for them, sexual orientation, you know, all the LGBT alphabet soup stuff. And your privilege determines the rightness or wrongness of your opinion. But that is, as you and I and Audrey on this panel knows, that is complete utter anathema to everything that this nation was founded upon. Mm -hmm. Like this entire nation is predicated that all men are created equal. This is literally Abraham Lincoln debating Stephen Douglas in Illinois in 1858. And what's just, it's so crazy to me, the Black Lives Matter radicals, the people who say that your melanin, your skin pigmentation makes you ipso facto by that very fact more relevant or it means that your opinion must triumph over someone who does not share the pigmentation. That is the flip side of the exact same coin as the secessionists and and the segregationists. The parting on the left is now the parting on the right, Aaron, and their beards have all grown longer overnight. What was yours? I I think it was the very end there with uh, Chuck Todd with the comment that there's no editorializing during the daytime programming on MSNBC. And it's it's funny. really is. But I do think this illustrates the deeper point about what we've been uh, saying about the mainstream media for uh, over a year now and why we started doing our Tuesday segment, Fake News or Not, differently and and not fact-checking enemy media because they are living in a different universe. They're living in in a different country. 
you know, um, when when uh, the North Korean or the Chinese uh, communist pro- uh, puppets get on their television programs at night and this just recite the Chinese Communist Party propaganda line yeah. for line, yeah. of course there's no editorializing there because that's what they believe. That's the <laughs> that's the approved narrative that they believe, and it just goes to show that this the mainstream media is not media anymore. This will lend in what we'll get into in a, in a few minutes. But it's really, uh, it's just propaganda. It's just the propaganda arm of what seems to be and is increasingly a foreign invading force, or at least in this case, a homegrown invading force. Like, how will you have that little self-awareness? Right. That little self-awareness. There's either two, there's, there's well, there's a few explanations for them. Uh, none of them, none of them are good. And I think the, the most likely thing is, is again, it just lends to the, uh, to the idea that this is not, this is not domestic media here. This is not domestic broadcasting. This is the propaganda arm of an invading force. I've probably done 40 to 50 appearances on MSNBC daytime programs, including Chuck Todd's. All right. I, I don't even, I can't even imagine the shamelessness. You could sit there and say, there's no editorial slant. I mean, come on, man. Let's get to the exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10, uh, with 1 being as lame as Lindsey Graham's 349, I believe it is now, uh, promises on Fox News uh, to get to the bottom of the deep state, but 10 being as flourishing as Lindsey Graham's burner account on Grinder, rank this week's level of total depravity. Jason. I don't know the difference. I'm gonna I'm gonna be safe here and go with one. <laughs> Josh, go ahead. You know, I, I love these weekly Lindsey Graham jokes, Steve. I really just do. Um, you know, I, I guess nine and a half. I mean, it's not quite a full tank. The bar is just set so ridiculously high, but it's 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 up there. That was Lindsey Graham's guess as well. Aaron <laughs> I'm at like a six this week. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're gonna dangle it out there. I gotta take a uh. shot. I just did it again. Where were we at, Aaron? I'm sorry. I'm at like a six this week. All right. Let, let's let's get to issue two. Barry bears all. Barry Weiss is not exactly somebody you'd expect to run into at your local grocery store or see dining out at your favorite fast food joint. Columbia University educated with a career in journalism spanning stints at various major publications. Nevertheless, the now former opinion editor at the New York Times has been a consistent voice for, at the very least, pumping the brakes on cultural Marxism in the pages of the Times. In recent memory, she's written her own editorials on issues ranging from anti-Semitism to the NBA's kowtowing to China and the power of podcasting superstar Joe Rogan. But apparently having a level-headed, open-minded editor in the newsroom was too much for the other staff at the New York Times. This week, Barry Weiss published her letter of resignation from the paper. In her resignation, she says, quote, I joined the paper with gratitude and optimism three years ago. I was hired with the goal of bringing in voices that would not otherwise appear in your pages. First-time writers, centrists, conservatives and others who would not naturally think of the Times as their home. The reason for this effort was clear. The paper's failure to anticipate the outcome of the 2016 election meant that we didn't have a firm grasp of the country it covers. She goes on to say, but the lessons that ought to have followed the election, lessons about the importance of understanding other Americans, the necessity of resisting tribalism, and the centrality of the free exchange of ideas to a democratic society, have not been learned. Instead, a new consensus has emerged 
emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper, that truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job is to inform everyone else. Twitter is not the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor. Throughout the rest of her letter, Weiss goes on to detail the near-constant bullying she received from staff at the New York Times, saying she's been called a Nazi and racist and being called out in front of her peers as a liar and bigot. Weiss's resignation, much more for the reasons she resigned, appears to be just the latest chapter in the bottoming out of the country's fourth estate. Five years ago, the summer of 2015, the New York Times sent a reporter out here named Jackie Calms uh, to, to basically follow me around, meet my family, have dinner with us, uh, meet my mom. Uh, they were doing a feature on me and sort of the the hidden um, influence uh, in the Iowa caucuses. And they way overblew my influence, but I was going to take the free publicity nonetheless, obviously. But um, she did, and, and her politics, vastly different than mine. But she did a very fair job. And from their point of view, did a very professional job. Um, I can't even imagine them wanting to acknowledge me as a, somebody like me as a species given even how much they've devolved from just bias to malfeasance here in these past few years. And Josh, I want to begin with you because you wrote, I think, something really potent about this over, uh, with one of your, uh, I think it was it was an American Greatness, or where did you write this at? Because uh, I want our audience to be able to read this and give them a little bit of your take of what this story really means. Sure, yeah, no, thanks for flagging it. Um, so the column that I wrote, it was, what was this, on Wednesday, I think she resigned? It was for, um, Tuesday or Wednesday, it was for the Jewish Daily Forward, actually, okay. which is the oldest-running Jewish publication in America, actually. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that we're talking about this, first of all. Um, I, I'm worried that conservative media, and, you know, I used to work at the Daily Wire. I'm an alum of uh, conservative media. I'm, I'm worried that conservative media is not going to cover this enough because Barry Weiss, as you noted, Steve, is is not one of us. She's not a conservative. The New York Times editorial page is obviously not conservative. So I'm kind of worried that conservatives are going to largely miss this story. So it's really it's really good and important that we're talking about it. So I don't know Barry Weiss personally. I've never met her. We do have a number of mutual friends. She was a part of this so-called intellectual dark web crew with like Dave Rubin and uh, Joe Rogan and uh, Claire Lemon from Quillette and people like that. And what Barry Weiss kind of distinguished herself, and he talks, she talks about this in, in the resignation letter, is she she's a traditional liberal. She is a she is a true kind of centrist leaning liberal who believes in free speech and diversity of opinions and things of that nature. And the fact that Barry Weiss was subjected to what she was subjected to, um, that and just the scorn, the rebuke, the criticism, the ad hominem vitriol, and that she felt compelled to leave like that really speaks just so horribly of this toxic, toxic mm -hmm. neo-Marxist radical leftist culture that has apparently overtaken the New York Times. And this obviously cannot be divorced from the whole Tom Cotton op-ed fiasco yeah. from last month. You know, I was, talking, actually, with my girl, I was talking with my girlfriend just this morning. The New York Times has in recent years published a Taliban official they published Erdogan, mm -hmm. who is the number one jailer of journalists, by the way, in the entire world, the strong men in, in, uh, in Ankara, in Turkey. But apparently Tom Cotton, they had to issue a five paragraph apology for and they and let alone having a genuine conservative on staff. I mean, think about it. Ross Duthat, who he's a, he's a never Trump conservative. He, he actually is a genuine conservative philosophically. 
I would be terrified if I were him right now. If, I mean, if Barry Weiss is dealing with what she's dealing with, think about someone who's like actually socially conservative and believes in enforcing immigration and things of that nature. But look, let's take it a step back here. The broader picture, which is the I think the most important way to think about this. America's major institutions of civic life, whether that's in journalism, academia, uh, the media, the uh, all, all the private institutions, the Fortune 500, the corporations, they are being increasingly overrun by a neo-Marxist leftist mob that has no yeah. interest whatsoever in dissent, in heterodoxy, and they will enforce that at the proverbial gun's yep. barrel. And yep. if there is no room for someone like Barry Weiss mm-hmm. at such an institution, there's it, it's, I mean, it's crazy that there's, that there's room for any of us. I mean, look, I, 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 the fact that I have the beliefs I do and I have a mainstream media position is uh, pretty crazy and pretty rare. But look, we need to we, we need to build our own institutions, Steve. There's, on, there's only one way to fight back, I think. I mean, this is the it's what I've I've called it for years, Josh. It's the mob outside Lot's house. That's what it is. It can't be negotiated with, can't be satiated. It's like that classic Donald Pleasant's rant about Michael Myers and the first Halloween cannot be contained, cannot be stopped, cannot be killed. I mean, they, they, this is a cult. It is a cult of it's a zealot cult. And it has no intention uh, of sharing anything with anybody outside of its own groupthink. Jay, let me go to you with that last thing that Josh just said. When these people get a hold of a cultural institution, if there isn't room there for the Barry Weisses of the world, then you know what do they what do they think about the rest of us? What are your thoughts on this? A little bit of a different take to make the same point, though. I think there's a very important lesson for voters as we head into the November election, to learn from this. As Josh laid out, here was was an individual who was a classic liberal, really a centrist. You read her letter. She went in after 2016 with the greatest hopes. You know, can't we just get along, right? Let's be reasonable. Let's broaden the perspective of what's written on the pages of the New York Times. And we know what happened. Here's where I'm headed. I talk to voters more and more who are saying the same thing. I'm tired. You know, I'm just fatigued. Mm -hmm. Trump. And these are people who are just a little bit right of center, would be a lot like her. And so many people are falling into this naive belief that, well, maybe if Trump leaves. They yep. hate him so much. Yep. They'll leave us alone. Yep. Everything will go back to the way it used to be, you know, back in the good old George W. Bush days, mm-hmm. as an example. People need to wake up. There is no in-between. There is no room for diversity of thought. You think that what's happening in Portland and Seattle and, and Baltimore and these other places, for example, if you live in Texas, can't come here, wake up. They're coming for you. This is this is this is we're only seeing the beginning. And just as Josh laid out in these institutions, the New York Times, academia, our universities, they are the they're the forefront. They shape these things and it's coming all the way to your doorstep. Right on the money, brother. I've talked about that for the last couple of years. There's this idea to use a comic book analogy that Trump is the Galactus. And so if you just got rid of him, um, the devourer of worlds, your planet would survive. No, Trump is the silver surfer. He is the herald. 
That is, a, that is bringing forth Galactus, announcing Galactus's presence. What you just described, Jason, that is the devourer. That is the Galactus. See, they had two options after Trump got elected. They could have practiced some self-awareness. That's what Barry Weiss did. Or they made the determination, this just proves that we have got to triple down on the crazy. This country is even worse than we thought. And that is the route the vast majority, maybe 90% or more, chose. Aaron, what are your thoughts? So I, I'm once again, and I bring this up from time to time, it, one of the favorite quotes from the movie Idiocracy is when the main protagonist uh, goes and tries to get some medical care after being transported into the future. And uh, the doctor notices that he doesn't have the tattoo that every, everybody else has on, on his wrist. And the doctor starts to freak out. Uh, and, and the quote is, why come you don't got a tattoo? And that's basically what it sounds like the staff and basically the entire circle of the New York Times did to Barry Weiss. Wait, you're, 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 you don't want to tear down all the symbols of, of Western civilization? Uh, you don't, you're not down with the iconoclasm 24-7, 365? You, you don't want that? You just want, you want to debate with this pe- these people? Why come you don't got a tattoo, Barry? That's, that's what they did. That's what they did to her. And some people have have, uh, referred to the New York Times, and it's fair. I mean, they're basically the newspaper of record (laughs) in the United States. At least they have been. And they're doing this. You you keep saying anything right of Chairman Mao. Anybody right of Chairman Mao who's currently on Twitter is going to get relegated to, to parlor. This is why this is why you say that. This is why this is why that's not a joke. It's like it until until so they have cultural hegemony right now. The progressive mob has cultural hegemony and and until they get political hegemony, you're going to start and you're going to continue to see more Barry Weisses if there are any left right now. And it's just it it is it boggles the mind. And I I led the, the montage off like this. You don't see a Barry Weiss when you go to your church potluck. You don't see her when you go to McDonald's or you go to, to Chipotle or you don't see her uh, in, in the grocery store. She's not one of us. She's not a regular person. But even she was way too far to the right. And she deserved to get the axe. And she, she was a bigot and a liar and a Nazi. What do they think of us? And I think it was apropos when you, when you, when you first set this up, Steve. Uh, they don't want to acknowledge us as a as a life form. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went from five years ago in my career urging more and more conservatives to do mainstream media appearances and things of that nature, and I did as many of them as I could. To now, it, I mean, I'm saying it's pointless. I mean, how did I make this evolution? I didn't. I just responded to what I saw. Uh, instead of the exit question, we have some breaking news. And Josh, while you're here, I want to get your take on it. I'm limited on time, so it's got to be quick. Okay. Ruth Bader Ginsburg has just announced that she has cancer and has been undergoing chemotherapy, some form of chemotherapy since May, but says she intends to continue to maintain her schedule on the court. What are your thoughts uh, since we've got a former clerk on the U.S. Court of Appeals sitting right here on our panel? What do you think, Josh? Wow. Well, I'm hearing this for the first time on your show, Steve, so processing in real time with you. Um, look, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, will she will die on that bench before she resigns while Trump is president. It's pretty much that simple. That's, that's, that's my very simple take. But you know what? She, she's, she's had so many diseases before. She's a warrior. She's a fighter. Um, you know, look, uh, we need to be good human beings here, and we need to wish her a swift and full recovery, obviously. 
Um, she will never, ever, ever resign for health reasons, though. That is totally out of the question. But Josh, do you think the fact that she's been undergoing this for two months and is now telling us, is that some kind of a signal to her base? You know, because every time she goes to the hospital, and she goes a lot, like a lot of 85 and 80s, eight-year-old women go to the hospital a lot, right? Every time she does, they're literally holding vigils on Twitter, man. I mean, rubbing idols and, and seeking shamans that, that she survives. We see it with our own eyes, right? Let's not deny it. We see it. Is this a signal to her base that, it, that, that hey, is this a dog whistle? You may have to marshal the forces up there. You know, I'm, this is... I'm going through chemo and I'm 87 years old. You know what I'm trying to say is this, why can't the, why tell them this now when she's been treating this since May? Is that some kind of a signal to, to her base there that, that there, there may be a fight here later in the year? That's probably right. I think that's a totally fair interpretation. I mean, the only thing cutting the other direction is that obviously the polling for Biden is so good right now. So there theoretically would have been more urgency for her to go public a couple months ago before, mm-hmm. you know, George Floyd and all the protests and the looting and all that stuff. Um, but that's probably right. I mean, two months is a lot of time. Um, and look, I mean, in 2016, the Supreme Court, based on exit polling, I mean, this is more JJ's turf, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this. It was the, the number Supreme two Court, issue. Yeah. It, it was the issue, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, that's probably what she's doing here. I don't think you're wrong about that at all. Jay, you have 30 seconds of a take on this. What happens if there's a, if there, because there's talk of Alito stepping aside. So what happens, 30 seconds, court opening this cycle, what happens? It could be the thing that actually uh, takes Trump from headed towards a very likely defeat to having a fighting chance. Okay. We'll come back. Uh, That's a good segue, actually, unintended, uh, to the next topic. 109 days from today is when the election will take place. We will discuss it with our panel next. Hey, have you noticed your hair isn't looking as full as it used to? Sorry, Jay. Yeah, losing your hair is no fun. <laughs> so let's talk options. Jason, you need to know that I actually didn't have to read this read at this time. I could have read another one. I chose to. So <laughs> You're good, man. <laughs> let's talk options. You can go to your doctor for a hair loss treatment prescription, then visit the pharmacy and try not to go broke just to avoid going bald or... You can try Keeps from the comfort of your own home, where you'll get the same doctor-recommended, FDA-approved hair loss treatment, but Keeps offers the generic version, so you'll get them at about half the cost. One more thing is you'll is Keeps makes it as convenient as possible. It's all online. You answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you, and then it's shipped discreetly to your door. So, how do we make it even easier? How about an additional 50% off your first order? First order, 50% off plus the normal discount from the generic versions already. When you go to keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S, keeps.com slash grow. Again, that is keeps.com slash grow. Let's get to issue three, 109 days. 
The latest national real clear politics polling average of the presidential race between presumptive Democrat nominee Joe Biden and President Trump shows Biden winning handily up 8.6 percentage points on the incumbent. That's not so much different from a month ago when Biden was up by 8.5 points. In the battleground states, the latest CNBC poll of Michigan shows Biden up by six points. The latest poll of Wisconsin shows the exact same. And in Pennsylvania, Biden leads by eight points. This week, President Trump demoted his longtime campaign manager, Brad Parscale, after, according to reports, their latest batch of internal polls showed President Trump losing badly to Joe Biden. Trump promoted longtime GOP operative Bill Stepien to fill the role of the demoted Parscale. I, I saw Kellyanne Conway congratulating Bill Stepien on his elevation to campaign manager on Twitter, and she did it by retweeting a New York Times story that noted lagging behind in the polls and losing badly. Trump makes campaign switch. And I thought to myself, sister, you, you, you couldn't have just sent a direct message. You had to retweet that. All right. But that notwithstanding, I, I think the next few weeks are going to determine this. And, and here's why. Because I think the environment's going to be set by what's being debated right now as we head into the fall. Can schools reopen? Can sports return? MLB is supposed to be back next week. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, college football camps are supposed to begin on the 24th. NFL training camps begin on the 28th, etc. Movie theaters, AMC is the largest theater chain in America. It's scheduled right now to open most of its uh, most of its locations on the 30th of this month. A lot of the wheels are going to be set into motion now that determine what the environment is going to look like on November the 3rd. Are we returning to some form of normalcy or are we still panic stricken? So with the election in 109 days, gentlemen, what one word do you think best describes where things currently stand? Jason, I'll start with you. Foobar. Why that one? It's other, than it, other than it's self-evident, but why that one? Yes, <laughs> self-evident. No, yeah. it, 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 it's. I mean, let me just talk about Texas. There, there's always this great hope of Democrats that it's a swing state. It is. It has changed. In the state of Texas, uh, I was involved in a statewide survey uh, conducted for a client two weeks ago. Biden is, in fact, leading. President Donald Trump in the state of Texas by two points. That's, of course, within the margin of error, but he is leading Texas. And and as you guys know, if we lose Texas, there is no path to the White House. In addition to that, and this gets to the point uh, about just how bad it is, the generic congressional ballot in Texas is only plus one GOP. Hmm. It's it's. It's atrocious. And and absent some remarkable turnaround, uh, which at the moment I'm not very optimistic about, uh, things will not end well uh, on election night in November. That was a poll, by the way, as I recall, that was plus 10 for conservative identification, correct? 42, 32 conservative to moderate, 22 liberals. That's right. And you just that's right. And you just reminded me of something. I am so tired of hearing People go on TV and talk about this amazing intensity advantage uh, that President Trump has. Maybe in other states he has it, but not here. When you compare conservatives and liberals, when you compare self-identified Republicans and self-identified Democrats, the liberal and the Democrat have about 
an intensity score about 10 points higher than the conservative and the and the, the Republican. Jason, tell me if this is an accurate snapshot. If you really hated Donald Trump in 2016, you hate him even more now. If you really loved Donald Trump in 2016, you love him even more now. That speaks to the intensity factor you just mentioned. But there's a whole lot of people in between there that just are sick of it all and want the whole damn thing to end. Is that an accurate snapshot of the electorate in America right now? I think that's a very accurate snapshot of the electorate in America. And and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll point to one particular demographic. Uh, that really highlights that fact. I mean, as, as you guys know, if you're 18 to 24, no prayer uh, for the Republicans. You can even go almost all the way up to the age of 55. But a key demographic, age 45 to 64, right? Males. Traditionally, Republicans have dom- dominated middle-aged men, right? We're still leading but our lead has collapsed to single digits. And when you look at open-endeds on surveys where we ask, you know, tell me why you're thinking what you're thinking. Tell me what's on your mind. In other words, we don't force feed an answer. What you just said in combination with one other thing, Steve, is what we're seeing over and over again. People are tired. They're fatigued. And as I uh, mentioned about the New York Times resignation, I, I think people have fallen into this dangerous, very naive way of thinking that, well, you know, maybe if Trump just goes away, mm-hmm. then everything will, quote, return to normal, whatever that means. But there won't be all the bickering. There won't be controversies every day. You know, CNN and MSLSD will lay off and everything will be just fine. And, oh, yeah, Uncle Joe, uh, he's not that bad. And, you know, we tend to think that everybody gets that because he's 150 years old and can't remember how to get to the bathroom, that he will have zero control over his administration, the average voter does not understand that. And I'll tell you, the Biden campaign, we make fun of him hiding in the basement. They are on message and they are doing exactly what they need to do at this point. And now they've got the teacher unions out there, basically. They're the Biden campaign right now. The teacher unions are out there. They have them out there as a, as, and teachers, of course, everybody's sympathetic to them. So you have them fighting Donald Trump instead of Captain Dementia. Josh, you live in Texas as well. Even if Trump ends up, you know, in the end, people come home and he wins the state. At the very least, what Jason, I think, is telling us is the Trump campaign, Republicans are going to have to invest money in defending Texas and time and resources that probably they went into this cycle before coronavirus, not anticipating they were going to have to. You know, look, I don't have a whole lot to add, honestly, to, to what JJ just laid out there. I mean, that's a pretty dire picture. I mean, if anything, I don't know if there's a way to kind of just like cut what we just heard and send it straight into, you know, to step in and, and the powers that be. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty dire up there. OK, I mean, like I think the election were held tomorrow. We're we're quite possibly looking at a 1988 George H.W. Bush Dukakis kind of route. I mean, not quite 84 where, where Mondale only wins D.C. and Minnesota, but um, it's, it's not looking particularly good. Um, now, I, I, one thing that I will say anecdotally for the – actually, two, two quick things, just purely anecdotally, nothing data, but just kind of to maybe kind of give the other side of the, of the coin here. I do live in Texas, but I've actually been for the past few weeks in, um, in southwest Florida, in, in, in Naples, Florida. 
I see Trump stuff everywhere here, uh, mm-hmm. just anecdotally. This is a pretty conservative part of the state. The district I'm in right now is R plus 13, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think I haven't seen a single Biden thing. And I see MAGA Trump stuff everywhere. And similarly, I had a good friend who a very smart conservative friend who lives in D.C. He, he and his wife recently did a little vacation up in New England around Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. He said something very similar to me. He said, like, on the beaches up there, he actually saw a lot of people with Trump stuff. And like, but, you know, look, this is pure anecdote. I've never been one much for anecdote. I I generally believe the data. I'm kind of a data driven guy, I guess. Um, So I'm I'm just trying to get the other side of the perspective. Um, But it is pretty dire out there. And, you know, it's a it's a crap show, frankly. I mean, I hope that that Stepien is paying attention to what J.J. is saying. That could actually tie into what J.J. said what you just pointed out, which is those people are even more feverishly and favorably for him because they do recognize what Jason pointed out. Joe Biden ain't going to be the president of the country. The people canceling Barry Weiss at New York Times, at the New York Times, they're running the country. And I think those people that you're talking about that are out there already with the signs and everything else recognize that, who the real opponent is here. Aaron, you have a quick take on this? Yeah, I think the one word that I would that I would, uh, that, that I would choose for this is thin, uh, as in a very thin thread here. Because if... Just the zeitgeist, the cultural zeitgeist that's being formed that needs to be penetrated and needs to be at least uh, harnessed, uh, that has to happen really soon. That, I mean, you're not going to be able to win this uh, in the last month, in the last 30 days, I, I don't think. Even with our short attention spans, you've got to start changing the conversation. And they have tried, and I, I can see some efforts still to open up the country, get the schools back on board. But that needs, I mean, he needs to change, Donald Trump needs to change his middle name to reopen the schools. That, that's, that's the only way that I see uh, him being able to at least harness or turn the tide of this environment to his advantage at this point because it's i mean he's he's just running out of time exit question which of these potential election turning events has the best chance to happen a biden refuses to do debates b trump is successful in getting the country to at least some form of normalcy c an enemy attempts to take advantage of our current state or d the virus burns itself out by late late august and disappears like the first sars did which do you think is most likely aaron i'm gonna say a a what do you think jay C. C. An enemy. Interesting. Josh. Of those options, C, but if I can add an option, I'll go option E. Uh, Justice Ginsburg passes away. Well, and I ran put this rundown together before she put out the release that she did today, but otherwise it would have been on there. You're right. Let's get to issue four quickly. College pro both or no? They played football in Nebraska last weekend with fans in the stands, and it's truly a beautiful thing. Yes, real live football with fans in the stands at the Nebraska Shrine Bowl. It really happened. And now, probably everybody's dead. (laughs) All right, so training camps are slated to open in the NFL on my birthday, July the 28th. The NFL is adamant that they will. Also, college football, the next next benchmark for them is the 24th. So a week from today is when coaches are able to now work directly with teams and their players for the first time in a mass setting. Will we have football this fall? Josh, I'll start with you quickly. I think that there will be football this fall. It'll probably be limited, shorter schedule. I, I saw the SEC talking about only doing intra-conference, you know, or, or maybe it was the Big Ten. It was one of those Big two Ten. Yeah. It, it, okay. yeah I mean, but it, there'll be something resembling football. Josh, what do you think? I'm sorry. Jason, what do you think? 
I have no clue about the NFL and I don't care about the NFL. I only care about uh, college football, giggle maggies. However, uh, University of Texas, which we affectionately refer to as TU, uh, just announced, I think it was this morning, if a single fatality occurs among their student body of, I don't know, 80,000 students, they will shut the entire school down. Uh, I've been told by someone who's visited with someone very high up at a very prominent Texas university, college football ain't gonna happen. Interesting. What about Texas high school football? I, well, my son is uh, going in freshman year. He's been doing strength and conditioning. Uh, they're preparing as if they're going to, but a bit more breaking news very quickly, Steve. Uh, the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, and the Texas Education Agency just announced they're giving local school districts in Texas more flexibility from three weeks all the way out to eight weeks to conduct school through online learning only. So I, I, I think it's a crapshoot a, a crap at this point, and I'm, I'm not feeling good about it. Aaron, what do you think? Um, I think that we will. Yeah. And this goes to my prediction next. I, I, we are going to have NFL and co- NFL for sure. And if college football doesn't play, it's an, it's a boon for the NFL. They can play more games for more people and a bigger audience. That's going to be a huge. That's going to take over Saturday, start. too, is yeah, what they'll do. Exactly. All right. Let's get to predictions. Aaron, I'll just go right back to you. Go ahead. So I actually think that there will be some regional big ticket uh, inter-conference um, games. So out-of-conference games in college football this year. I actually do think that there are going to be a few of those that happen. Uh, Contrary to kind of the way it was trending last week with the Big Ten, I actually do think I could see the SEC and ACC playing some some, uh, just regional, but uh, inter- Like a Clemson, South Carolina, Florida, Florida State, stuff like that. All right. What do you think, Josh? Your prediction. So my prediction is that I think the dire portrait for November that JJ laid out there is eventually going to seep in a little more fully with Sepian and the Trump campaign apparatus than it did under Parscale. And I think that Trump is going to try to over, he's gonna make an effort to override Fauci and the lockdown apologists, and he's going to make an effort to open the schools. I'm not gonna predict that he's gonna succeed, I'm not gonna predict that he's gonna win the election, but I think he's going to make a vocal, sustained effort that will probably be partially successful at least. And in so doing, I think he will at minimum at least narrow the polls from the current outrageous deficit that he's in. All right. Jason, your prediction. Prediction goes back to, I think, the question before last, and that is I I genuinely believe that China, uh, being the uh, master strategist that they are, will find some way likely related to trade uh, to impact the election. I mean, I could see it going either way, impact it in favor of Trump, but I would predict uh, not in favor of Trump, and it'll likely have something to do with agriculture to hurt him in, 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 in the Midwest. I could totally see that happening as well. I I am going to restate for my prediction what I predicted on the show earlier this week, especially with Josh and Jason here. I believe on Election Day, we're going to be able to do an almost a perfect overlay map of the election map and find a direct correlation between where the schools are open uh, and where Donald Trump performed well. I think it'll be almost in direct realignment or or direct alignment, I should say. You guys have any quick thoughts on that in about 30 seconds? I I think it's a very good prediction, Steve. I mean, you look where, I mean, because go to the economy, right? Direct correlation there. We had our 17th straight week of north of 1 million jobless claims. If we do not go back to school, uh, our economy does not come back. And Mm -hmm. there is nothing, nothing that predicts success or failure of an incumbent president than the economy. 
All right, gentlemen, I think that's it. Are we about out of time? All right. Hey, good to see both of you. Thanks for hopping on here on a Friday. Have a great weekend to two of you, okay? See you, Steve. Thanks. You bet. Josh Hammer from Newsweek, contributor here at Blaze TV. Jason Johnson, former senior strategist for the Ted Cruz presidential campaign in 2016. All right, when we come back here, we will have Feedback Friday, and you're, you're going to set the agenda of what we're going to talk about next. Stay tuned. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here. Todd Erzin has the day off. Aaron McIntyre. You know he's here. Otherwise, we wouldn't be on the air. 888-900-3390. That's the thing. You can do the show without me. Um, it may or may not be as good or as fun, but you can't do the show without Aaron. That can't happen. I'm, right? I'm literally showing my value yes. by pressing and, and the wrong that's button. That's perfect. Yeah. Right as I was discussing your absolute... I was trying. Um, how, just how indispensable you are. You make uh, a first day on the job mistake. Yeah. It'd be funny if you planned it, but you didn't, did you? I did not. No. <laughs> we don't plan anything on the show. No, no, we don't. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Follow us on Parlor at Steve Dace, YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. If you are a podcast listener, thank you. Please, though, if you haven't done so, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you podcast from. And if you haven't done so, leave us a five-star review. We get thousands of those. We could use thousands and thousands more because for whatever reason, the more you like us, the more the algorithms do and help us to find more people like you. Thank you to all of you that have sent us one of those five-star reviews already. Um, With us being online more than ever before, I think it is vital that we take a look at our online security more than ever before. Um, Social media companies not only are using your data or data, but they also get to decide what content is suitable for you. And you might guess that most of the people overseeing their algorithms aren't people like us. And they like to censor uh, what they don't like. That was part of the Twitter hack, right? We learned yeah. in, in the Twitter hack a couple of days ago, they've, an, got a, they've got blacklists of, of accounts yep. where they you know, don't have these accounts show up on searches, things of that nature. So the problem with big tech companies is not only do they censor what you read, but they track what you do online. That's include the videos you watch, everything you click. They use this data to serve you ads and can match your activity to your offline identity using your device's unique IP address. That's why you want to use a VPN. I use ExpressVPN. I have it on this machine right here. These tech companies can't see my IP address at all. My identity is identity is masked and anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, VPN also encrypts 100% of my data to protect me from hackers and internet bad guys. Um, And it's not even complicated whatsoever. Uh, You can set this thing up in about a minute on your computer, phone, uh, one tap, all of your uh, devices and and iPads and iPhones, et cetera. So why give these tech companies a free license to know everything about you and then turn around and use it against you, right? Uh, It's time to take back your privacy. Here's how. Go to ExpressVPN, V as in victory, expressvpn.com slash Steve, expressvpn.com slash Steve. By visiting that link, you'll get three extra months months for free when you sign up for a year 
at expressvpn.com. So 15 months for the price of 12. Again, at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Before we get to Feedback Friday, Aaron, we have more news on the Ruth Bader Ginsburg front. Again, this story is developing just as we're on the air. Okay, We are now learning, according to Tom Fitton over at Judicial Watch, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has actually had cancer, liver cancer, since February. She has had cancer of the liver since February. Today is July 17th, Aaron, and we are just now finding out. And I think that may reinforce the theory, why is she putting out a statement today? I think this may be, she may be signaling to her base hey, we've been fighting this thing for several months. And given my age, there's no guarantee this time. You know, I'm going to I'm going to stay here to the last possible day. But the last possible day, sadly, may be approaching quicker than we had hoped, given I've been fighting this now since February. Yeah. So if if this was a typical if this was a typical um just a, a typical checkup, or, and we hear about this all the time. Admitted to the hospital, but we hear this all the time. It seems like every other month or so for the last couple of years, especially with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But something of this magnitude, with a position of this magnitude, to withhold that information, which is information that I think you know. Of course, it's medical information, but uh, she's a public employee. She's a public right. servant with a lifetime appointment. With a lifetime appointment. Yeah. People, I think, are entitled <laughs> to know what her health is like and to wait five months for liver cancer at that age. Okay, th- there's more going on here than just, hey, everybody, surprise, I'm better. I-, I can't I can't really quite wrap my mind around how that's just a run-of-the-mill announcement. It's not. It's not at all. According to Cancer.net, by the way, the survival rate uh, for liver cancer depends on several factors. And you know, when you're the age that 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 Ruth is, those factors all work against you, no matter how healthy you are, just because of the age that you are, right? Um, for the 44% of people who are diagnosed in an early stage, the five-year survival rate is 33%. That's if it's diagnosed early. The five-year survival rate is 33%. If it has spread to any other tissues or organs, the five-year survival rate is 11%. So this this can be a difficult form of cancer to defeat. And I, I'm guessing being, what is she now? 86 years old, I think she is. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't make it any easier. And just to go back to what we were just talking about via ExpressVPN and the way these social media companies work. You want to talk about bearing the lead. Right now on my Twitter feed, Aaron, the number one trending story that Twitter has presented for me and the what's happening section on the right Here's 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 what it says. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg hospitalized to treat infection. That that is true. She's hospitalized to treat an infection. No reference there whatsoever to the fact that a woman closer to 90 than 80 mm-hmm. has been fighting liver cancer for the last 5 months. Can, can bury the lead much? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's a glitch or something, because that's the story from a few days ago. I mean, this one is completely new and, and different as well. But that's, I mean, yeah, that that you would think that this would be the number one trending thing would be uh, Ruth RBG cancer or something like that. But it's it's not that at all. It, I don't there is something going on here. I don't think there's any 
any question about that because each time we've had this had these stories about rbg going to the hospital uh there's a specific reason for that and the one a few days ago was a possible infection but now we've got this completely different story that we've not been told about i mean that just doesn't square with the pattern of events that we've seen over the last couple of years because i'm not exaggerating i don't think i mean this is like a regular story as it is Mm -hmm. for the the vast majority of octogenarians in the united states i whether in and it's not just her health obviously with her age but there's been you know plenty of talk a couple of weeks ago samuel alito may not be long for the court there's been a lot of discussion that if trump were to win re-election clarence thomas may go ahead and retire for whatever the whatever the reason is but particularly if it's if it's if it's Thomas or Ginsburg's seats because they are the the intellectual cornerstone of their particular ideological wings on the court, right? Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the court's most renowned leftist and Clarence Thomas is the court's most renowned conservative, right? Um, if one of those two, for whatever reason, if in this environment, could you even imagine what a confirmation fight to replace either one of them over the next 109 days would look like in this environment. Here would be the positive. If you want your movies and football and your life back, the odds go way, 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 way up. Here's why. Surging cases, Rectum barely knew them. I mean, all the all the news coverage you're seeing right now from all these outlets focused on all these surging cases. We got surging cases in Iowa too, by the way, where we live. And the average age of a positive test in Iowa is 22 years old. That's great news. Yes. We, we want the virus going up against those healthy immune systems. That's how you weaken a strain, right? But, but if you want the panic porn to go away, this don't you think this would do it? The panic porn would be gone overnight. I mean, this would this would this would become, you know, right now we're assembled in the cultural valley of Megiddo. This would be like the Battle of Armageddon to replace either Clarence Thomas or Ruth Bader Ginsburg in this environment. The whole every focus would be on this. Yeah, I mean, it was it it would be like when the riots happened. I, I mean, for a few days there and the really a couple of like weeks, didn't exist. it didn't yeah. exist. I yeah. made the mistake of thinking, oh, well, hey, this yeah. was our next shiny object. We're done here. Yeah. We, we can start opening. No, but no, once those started dying down, oh, it's uh, it's killing everybody again. Um, so, yeah, that would that would be fun. I, I would rather. I don't know if, if the, the Faustian bargain here, if it meant getting the life back before, you know, getting life back to normal before the election. Um versus yeah i i think i think that would be a very very telling moment just depending on the depending on the timeline of this as well a very telling moment uh because if if god forbid she does um pass and the the you know the battle ensues to replace her i can see it going one of two ways either this is something that um that, that Trump and the GOP will dangle a carrot on the stick out in front of the voters and say, well, we don't have enough vote. We got to get more votes in the Senate if you want somebody like Amy Coney Barrett uh, re- to replace RBG. So mm-hmm. vote vote Republican for better justices. I mean, that would be a fascinating, a fascinating thing to watch in all the wrong ways. But at least we'd have football again. Now that America is opening up as we begin, allegedly anyway, as we begin Feedback Friday, that doesn't mean that uh, everything is okay necessarily. Still got to take those precautions. And one of the things I think we've learned is if they're going to shut your healthcare system down where you don't have access to it for months, um, 
best to take as much control of your own health situation as you possibly can. And one way to do that is with Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. One scoop has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables, the kind that boost energy and support a healthy immune system. Plus, a diet rich in fruits and vegetables can reduce your risk from every for all kinds of things, from heart disease to hypertension and a whole host of other health issues. Field of Greens is also prebiotic, probiotic. Here's why that matters. Largest immune system in your body is in the gut. So one scoop in any glass of water-based drink, stir it up and you're done. If your kids like naked juices, for example, like the green machine, which tastes really good. It's got a lot of great stuff in there. It also has like 900 grams of sugar. All right. This is all the good tasting stuff in the green machine minus the 900 grams of sugar. And right now you can save 15% off of your first order with the offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Again, the offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Subscribe today. If you decide you like it, let's have this come to the home every month. They'll throw another 10% off every single month too. So uh, those two discounts available to you only with the promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Let's get to feedback Friday. This is what you've sent to our inbox, steve at stevedace.com, D-E-A-C-E, Facebook, Twitter, Parler, etc. This is from Paul Monahan, who writes, a question I have that's not related to safety, but financially. Where is the budgeted money going for education if it's not being used to open the schools, run school buses, pay the teachers, administrators, electric bills, supplies, etc., school meal programs, after school care? Billions of tax dollars have been allocated towards education. If the kids aren't returning to school where you live, where is all that money going? That, my friend, is an excellent question. I I would be willing to bet the number one expenditure in all 50 state budgets in America is education. That if you were to do an itemization of the budget in your state, the number one top line cost was education. And if I'm wrong, it's number two. So then, if these are ghost towns in several places again in America this fall, where did all, where, what are we doing with all the money then? We don't have to run these buildings, upkeep these buildings, house these kids, feed them. If the buildings are closed, that would mean no extracurriculars, right? No sports, drama, mm-hmm. band, none of that. So where is all of that money going? That's a good question. It is a good question. It's one we may not want to know the answer to, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm still fascinated by the fact that, that the, uh, there is an op-ed today at BuzzFeed, a teacher saying she's quitting the profession because she doesn't want to risk her life returning to school. Saw something this morning about a teacher in Texas making end-of-life plans. Yes. Did, if, if you're that teacher... Or you have that mindset. Did you order any Grubhub for the last three months? Uber Eats ever come to your house? You cooked every night. Well, you did? Okay. Where'd you get your food? Did you ever go to the store? Ever go to a Walmart? Target? Kroger? Whatever the grocery chain is where you live? You ever go in there at all? Who stocked the shelves? Who delivered the, 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 the supply chain? Who checked you out? Well, they have self-checkout. Okay. Where, where'd you get the items to self-checkout? Who stocked the bags that you were going to bag your own groceries with? 
who brought the grocery carts in from the lot. See where I'm getting at here? Essentially, if you're a teacher thinking that way, your position is that for the last four months, all of these other workers that served you in these other capacities were totally fine risking their lives, which, by the way, they weren't. But I'm just going with your talking point. This is, I don't, I don't accept your premise. I'm just using your premise against you, frankly. You're going with the premise, therefore, that these workers in these entities were fine serving you if it risked their life. You were totally fine. You were totally fine having them serve you at the risk of their own lives. But you're not willing to risk others or serve others and risk of your own? Dude, if, if, if that ain't a selfish as hell position. Drive all over creation delivering my Olive Garden takeout tonight. And I, I, I can't go in and teach some kindergartners for a few hours. I don't know how that's a defensible position, but I'm not in a cult either. Austin says, why is the chief conservative position can we pretty please send our kids back to the re-education camps that have been the genesis of all this sabotaging of america because the debate first of all the kids stay home most of the curriculum that the kids stay home will be supplied by who aaron the public school the public schools which means will there be some parents yeah, that we'll find a Freedom Project Academy like we talk about on our show or we'll find in a Becca or a My Father's World, if you know the homeschooling uh, curriculums that are out there. Sure, absolutely. There will be some, no doubt. Are those all free? No. No, no, no. no, no. And as a, I'm going now into my, what's this? <sighs> Anna started school in 2005. My... 15th year as a homeschool dad going into it this year. So Noah is at Des Moines Christian, but Zoe is still schooled at home and Anna has already graduated. So I'm going into my 15th year as a homeschool dad. I can attest to the fact none of that curriculum is cheap and none of it's free. And that's why we won't sell as much of it as we would like because the amount of taxes already taken out of all these parents' checks you know, there's not going to be a lot of them that have the discretionary income to then pay a second time because they're still going to pay for their kid to be educated in the schools without them even taking part in it. And then they pay a second time for their kid's education to do it this way. On, and in a country where, as you heard Jason Johnson, my old friend, uh, who's the former senior strategist of the Cruz campaign, say last hour, we have had for 17 weeks in a row at least 1 million new jobless claims in America for 17 weeks in a row, right? Is that what he said? Yep. All right. How many parents with children do you think are among those 1 million claims for the last 17 weeks? Well, there's got to be at least one or two. And maybe you're fortunate enough to be one of those families that you are getting more unemployment than you were making on your job. But if you are already tightening the belt, how many families have the money to go and buy another curriculum when they're already being charged via taxation for the curriculum their kids aren't using? Answer is not going to be as many as we would hoped. It'll be more than it was. I agree with that. And we've seen those numbers, okay? But it won't be as many as we hope. What'll happen in the majority of cases is the public school indoctrination will just go into the home now. They'll just 
sit at home and be indoctrinated. And then, though, so you get all the same indoctrination, but then since the schools aren't open, the campuses aren't open, the stuff that goes on in the public school setting that actually teaches Americana, albeit experientially, the competition of the sports, the extracurricular activities that are meritocracies, the band, the cheerleading. And in some cases when they're not, hey, you might as well learn as you're, as, you know, at a young age, it's often not what you know, but who you know, right? That sometimes she's going to get the spot on the cheerleading team or she's going to get that job when you're better because she knows the coach. And sometimes he's going to take your spot on the team when you're better because of who his old man is. See, these are, these are really important life lessons. That meritocracies are good and then sometimes they're taken advantage of. All the things that go on in the community corporate setting of a school that you would approve of, that you would want a child to learn, that's all taken away. And so it's the worst of both worlds now. It's just the indoctrination with none of the meritocracy or none of the applicable life lessons whatsoever. Then there's the lack of social contact. I mean, if, 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 you, if you're a parent and you, it's, it's funny, even in, in a conservative Christian school where my son is at right now, what's funny is early on when we tried to get his friends to come over to the house and play, and well, he's 13 now, they don't play, hang out, I'm sorry, all right? We tried to get his, his friends to come over and hang out or have him go over there. Even in even even at, in in, in a, within the conservative Christian school, a lot of families are like, "Well, oh, we're not there yet." As we got further into the year, and now that our school has announced it's going to be open this fall, it's funny. One of Noah's friends was just over at the house last week. See how that changes the psychology of people. That's why schools are the linchpin of this. Hey, if it's safe to send my kid there all day long, no. then I think it's safe for my kid to be around other kids, safe for my kid to socialize with other kids. There was a moment in late April, early May, where the conversation flipped from how long are we going to be shut down to how soon can we reopen? This is the type of psychology. Hey, that's exactly psychological right. Change that's exactly about. right. So we are good at, there is no question more families will understand the blessings of homeschooling if the schools are shut down. There is no question about that. However, if you think it's going to lead to a mass renaissance, I don't agree with that. Instead, in the majority of cases, in the majority of homes, the indoctrination will just be beamed into the home. And then all the stuff that being a part of a school district provides that is vital for a child's development, outside of the indoctrination, all that will be taken away. I don't know about you, that's the worst of both worlds to me. But then there's another factor here that I think might even be more important. One of the key aspects of, 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 of being a homeschooler is your belief in parental autonomy and authority, right? Parents aren't the ones making the decisions about whether their kids should go to the indoctrination center or not. They're not making these decisions. Who's making these decisions? The educrats are. The system is. This is reinforcing the authoritarianism of the educrat, not the autonomy of the parent. This is a lot like saying, 
hey, I maintained my virginity until the day I was married by only living in community with people of the same gender I was not attracted to. Look how pure I am. I mean, well, you just, you put yourself in a situation where there wasn't an option to consider anything else. And then, oh, by the way, you finally go off and get married. You haven't been around anybody of the opposite sex whatsoever. And um, your amount of relational development is way behind everyone else. So good luck. You kept your virginity. You did that. That's great. But you did it by surrounding yourself only with people of the exact same gender the whole time. You didn't actually confront your urges or demons. You put yourself in a cage. And another, you imprisoned yourself to them just in another way. That's what's going on here. The educrats are making the call. This isn't some parental revolution. This is educrat oppression. This is totalitarianism. We dictate. We dictate the conditions for your children. You don't dictate those to us. And for me as a homeschooler, anywhere parental rights are threatened... I'm there. Parental rights are being threatened here. And parents are being told, doesn't matter what the science says, doesn't matter what the data says. If the teacher unions don't want to do it, your kid's screwed. And your kid doesn't get a prom. And your kid doesn't get a senior year in football. Your kid doesn't get the senior trip. None of that. I, I don't know. I, I don't see... I, I don't... I see it the other way, Austin. I, I don't see how it behooves us to be... It, to me, it, that's like... That's that's that, that's very pharisaical, frankly. And I hate using that term because it gets misused a lot in our culture. But the idea that, that we forced people to do what we think is right, but not from necessarily a righteous premise. Like it just became a rote action, a default setting. Not something they came up with on their own or a conclusion they made on their own. That kind of sounds a lot like the people we think we're against. Isn't that how they roll? Now, this is, a, this is an assault on parental rights. That's why, the, that's why the people indoctrinating your kids don't want the schools open. They know they're going to get to indoctrinate them anyway. You're just going to beam it right into your homes now. And then they get to remind you that they're the boot, you're the ant. They're the hammer, you're the nail. doesn't matter that you, that you procreated that kid and you raise it, pay for it, clothe it. doesn't matter. They're in control of your child. What do you think about this, Aaron, as a kid who was homeschooled? Yeah, it is. It, it is an interesting. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it quandary, where it's <laughs> you would have never guessed at the beginning of this year that at some point, uh, conservatives, people right of center, who would all agree that um, you know the, the 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 cultural centers of a, a progressive indoctrination, otherwise known as public schools, we would be the ones that would be calling for them to open up, and the teachers' unions would be the ones that would be calling for them to be shut down. Except they're not really. The indoctrination still continues. 
you know, as long as you as long as you have a computer, which not everybody does. And that's the other part of this as well, um, that that people who are in a position of privilege, there's another misused words. Guys, not everybody has Internet. Not everybody, everybody has computers. It's not just as simple as, OK, we can just do this distance learning. All right. And I don't think it's virtue signaling to point that out. It's also not virtue signaling to point out what we've pointed out before, I think, in other venues as well, that a lot of these college football players, a lot of these college athletes, who if you take a football season away from them, if you take their education away from them, they're going to end up back in very, very bad situations from whence they came. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing? Is that a really good? Is that is that better? Is that better for them than catching the virus that they're probably going to survive? Is that really better for them? Think about that. So that's that's another side of this equation as well, that this is we have to be able to separate this in our minds from guys. This is still going to be a frontline battle for the rest of our lives. Public schools, the teachers unions are incredibly powerful. They they're flexing their muscles every day and against the president of the United States, against the president of the United States, the Los Angeles teachers union. I believe that was the teachers union that came out with that basically uh, manifesto. See what I did there? Uh, a a manif- manifesto of, I don't know, a communist bent a little bit, uh, releasing their demands before they'll start. Completely unrelated d- demands. So this is a separate fight. This is a fight to actually get our livelihoods back. I'm, not, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, a good analogy that's not completely... Um, that's not completely just uh, utilitarian... But this is a separate battle than the pre-existing war uh, against public schooling and and the the tripe that's and, that and, comes along with it. And that. that's why both that's why the, the two camps have flipped sides. They they recognize that for the most part. Yeah. Hey, listen, I think we should absolutely, as homeschoolers, this is a great time to come alongside our friends and family members who are concerned about what's going to happen with their kids this fall, and come alongside them and say, hey, here we got some options to help, and here's how we we you know uh, we we have our own socialization for the kids and everything else. I'm all for that. But but just sit there and and actually root for the schools to stay closed so that you have no choice now but to see things my way i mean that that, you know that whole never let a good crisis go to waste thing that that's how the pagans operate man that that's how the marxists operate we we try to stop crises not take advantage of out there running with their dogs and stuff yeah i'm like man there's no way i could keep up yeah. <laughs> all right um but hey it's good you're getting, it's good that you're getting your dog some exercise but you know what else your dog needs nutrients like vitamins minerals antioxidants probiotics omega oils and the list goes on and i can tell you they're not getting it from that dry kibble food because the stuff's dead as a doornail once it leaves the factory I mean, they they Take all those live cultures and everything out of it because otherwise it spoils faster and it's more expensive to produce and they want to have it on the shelf for a long time, cheap enough that you'll buy it. So that's why we've been telling you for a while now about Rough Greens. It isn't a dog food. It's a supplement that you put on the dog's food they already love and it's jam-packed with the things that will promote a happy, healthier lifestyle and your dog's going to love it. Our, our, our dog cat goes crazy for Rough Greens, thinks it makes his food taste even better. Maybe your dog 
will think the exact same thing. So give your dog the Rough Greens 14-day jumpstart bag today for just $14.95 and see the difference in your dog in two weeks or less. Just go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F. That's how they spell it. Roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's roughgreens.com slash blaze. Let's go back to Feedback Friday here. This is from Lynn who says, My oldest son lives in Idaho with his wife and two children. He told my wife that three of his friends decided to get tested for COVID. They went, filled out the paperwork, and were in line. And were in line. And were in line for quite some time before saying, to heck with it. So they left. A few days later, each of the three received notification via mail that they had tested positive for COVID, which is a little strange since they were never tested. I just saw, again, this is anecdotal. I saw the exact same story from somebody in Iowa here the other day. Exact same story. Well, we know in Florida, we have, what was it, 13 uh, public health departments in Florida mm-hmm. were reporting a hundred percent positive test rate. Twelve of them, I want to say, did not want to comment on it. One of them, Orlando, said, "Yeah, it was actually supposed to be nine point four percent correct, not ninety nine. Just a bit outside. San Antonio, I think it was two days ago, mm-hmm. reported almost four thousand uh, more positives than they've actually uh, they've actually had. There's another story out of Florida today where the Florida Department of Health with, was caught. By and that Fox thirty that that Fox affiliate, I think it's Fox thirty five down there in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Dude, they're taking names, man. Yeah, they are. Good for them. Um, they found that motorcycle accidents are now apparently we we we. How many things have we cured with COVID? Right, strokes, hypertension, all these mm-hmm. things went away for three months. Right. Yep. Now motorcycle accidents have have apparently been cured by COVID as well. Because, it, like Bjork said, all oh, is COVID. Um, this Fox affiliate in Orlando found a motorcycle victim was listed as a COVID nineteen death. They asked, and they they talked to one of the this Fox thirty five talked to one of the directors of the Orange County. That's. Orlando, mm-hmm. one of the Orange County medical supervisor board members or whatever uh, about this. Um, quote, we were arguing, discussing, or trying to argue with the state, not because of the numbers. It's 100. It doesn't make a difference if it's 99. I thought it was just, if we can even save just one life. But anyway, um, but the fact that this individual didn't die from COVID-19, died in the crash, but you could also actually argue that it could have been the COVID-19 that caused him to crash. <laughs> I don't know the conclusion of that one. Oh, my. Yeah, you could argue that. You'd be an imbecile. You could, you, yeah, you'd be dumb. Uh, but you could argue and, that. And a fraud. But sure, you could argue that. You could argue the earth is flat. You know, you could argue that white people are savages, but then you'd be Nick, Nick Cannon, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of Nick's, Nick writes, I'm a Christian conservative working as an administrator in a public school in Ohio. Prayers up. Uh, the county where I work was plus 50 Trump in 2016, but the school system, as you might imagine, is not. At this week's administration meeting, we are scheduled to discuss our changing understanding of systemic American racism in light of the past few weeks. Past communication and experience suggest there's not much room for dissenting opinions. Uh, I don't think, first of all, there's not much room. That would be promising because typically there's not any, (laughs) right? So if there's at least some, 
Uh, we're, you know, hey, we're making progress. We're matriculating the ball down the field here, Hank Stram. Normally, there's not any room for dissenting opinions. Past communication and experience, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, I don't think much should be gained in taking a directly combative stance, but I'm also not going to play their game. I'm just going to talk about my perspective as a Christian, the importance of viewing people as individuals, the consequences of sin, the importance of honest conversation, etc., Some friends think I shouldn't even say this much. My question to you is, when is silence wise and when is silence apostasy? Thanks for speaking truth and fighting the good fight. Excellent question, Nick. My my first response back to you is, do you have tenure? Just kidding. Um, Sort of. Um, Here's... One of my mentors in radio said, Steve, as Christians, we have to be willing to to die for the cause, but we don't also have to walk up to Caesar and volunteer to fall on his sword either, right? Now, the difference is here, though, you're being summoned. You're being summoned to this. And you're being told that you will sit down and be inculcated by our message. I do think in that scenario, you have a responsibility to speak up. I don't think you have a responsibility unless you feel called. If you feel called, you have a responsibility to fulfill that calling. But unless you're feeling the call, I don't think you have a responsibility to seek out confrontations of this nature with pagans. I do believe, though, that when they knock on your door, Mr. Polycarp, you have a responsibility to take a stand then. I do. When you're summoned. When they come to you. Aaron, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is this is uh, this is a case study in picking and choosing your battles. There's a difference between running into battle, and then there's a difference uh, there's a difference between that and actually having the battle come to you. Mm-hmm. So this is a common, a very common um, fallacy <laughs> that is peddled all the time. And it's been peddled for basically bo- uh, most of my adult and young adult life from the rainbow jihad. What is somebody, what does somebody, uh, acting alone or with someone else in their own bedroom, what impact does that have on your life? That's a total and complete fallacy because it's really, really hard for us not to care about what they're doing in their bedroom when they're shoving what they're doing in their bedroom in your face and sticking your nose in it all the time and saying, you must assent to this. The same thing happens here as well. From what it sounds like, it's not like you're just going rampaging into battle. The battle is coming to you. All right. There is no there's no Switzerland here, at least that I know of. Yeah. So by all means, Comenso Festival, mm-hmm. uh, 1812 Overture, uh, let's get it done. So fire away, as, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. And if people had done this 15 years ago, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through right now. Here's what they don't want. They don't want the carnage of having to, f- they can't fire all of you. And the, and the carnage and the publicity that occurs if they try, they don't want. They are counting on your silence. That's that's baked into the cake. Your fear. The number one reason I wanted Noah to play football last fall is I wanted him to take a hit. You know, like a lot of boys in his generation, 
And by the time I was 13, how many fights had I been in? He hasn't been in any. Hasn't been in any. And I don't want a young man leaving my home who hasn't taken a punch. Because he'll never know if he can get back up. So he'll become either really arrogant, thinking he's invulnerable, and he's not, or he'll become very passive and wimpy, afraid of taking a punch because he's unsure that he can get back up after he takes one. Bullies thrive on fear. Your fear is always worse than the actual confrontation. I know this from a fact. I lived, I lived with a bully. The fear was always more overwhelming than when I finally, we finally confronted. And then afterwards, I was like, why did I let this guy bully me for all these years? Why didn't I do this a long time ago? See, we should have done this a long time ago. When we had the numbers. Now we don't. So it's the Alamo now. But there's no back door either. So time to stand. Now they're coming to you. So I, I absolutely think it is time to speak up. I do. Uh, Jim in Michigan. I just finished, finished reading a nefarious plot. Thought it was magnificent. Thank you. To say that it was chilling would be an understatement. On Friday's show, Todd said, or last Friday's show, Todd said the book was prophetic, and it's incredibly correct. It's incredible how correct it was, given that you wrote the book several years ago, and the utter cultural and political turmoil we're experiencing now. I'm also a fan of how the narrative is told from the antagonist's point of view. I found this very interesting. It served to effectively contrast our evil with the absolute goodness and holiness of God. I also enjoyed that the book calls out specific people, but makes it poignantly clear that we are the enemy. We are the we are responsible for the evil that is in the world. Thank you for writing the book. Um, most people don't realize we're completely and utterly screwed because of our own willful choices in life. And that's why we need to find redemption in Christ. Nefarious connects those dots tremendously. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. And that's why we're making it into a movie. And I've gotten a ton of emails about this recently. I think they're back in stock on Amazon. We sell the book out all the time because the book was published originally in 2016, right? There's a hardcover uh, copy of the book. I think it was selling for like $600 on Amazon because they were out. Did you see that? I did not see that, no. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I like to get a piece of that action. <laughs> yeah. um, Brayden Kelly says, I'm wondering if you could touch on a question for me. Why would voters vote out Trump if another lockdown occurs because of COVID? If we can presume that the Democrats would continue their authoritarian fever dream, I don't necessarily agree that the COVID hype will go away if Biden gets into office. It's too great of an opportunity to push through legislation that would make Woodrow Wilson or FDR raise a Make America Great Again flag. Well, those are two separate issues. Two separate issues. Let me just tackle your first question, though, okay? Why did people vote for Bill Clinton when he ran on, I'm going to raise more taxes, because they were upset that George W. H. W. Bush violated his no new taxes pledge? Why did they do that? Why did they vote for Barack Obama, who said, I'm going to regulate even more industries, if they were upset with George W. Bush's regulating of the banking industry through the TARP in order to keep it afloat by saving the free market? Uh, by suspending it. Here, here's the reality, Braden. Most voters haven't thought this through like you have. The vast majority of them haven't. Most of them vote on sentiment, feel, instinct. Does it feel like the country is moving in the right direction? 
Now, we can quantify data that shows us what produces that feeling. What's the price of gas? That's actually a major indicator in, in elections, if you can believe it. The price of gas, unemployment rate, right? Okay. But very few Americans go to the, almost nobody is going to go to the polls on November the 3rd. If, if we have, so 109 days would be how many weeks? 7, 39, 1, 7 into 39 would be 15. 15 more weeks. Let's say we have 30 or 15 and a half about. Let's say we have 33. That would make it 33 consecutive weeks right. of a million or more unemployment claims, right? All right. Yep. The, who's going to the polls and saying, I'm here to vote for Joe Biden because we've had 33 uh, consecutive weeks of a million unemployment claims? Nobody. Almost nobody will. They're going to go vote for Joe Biden because they because they're one of those unemployment claims, and it feel and because of that, it just feels like the country's heading in the wrong direction. We need a change. I, for whatever reason, we we like to pretend that we can Kobayashi Maru this thing, and and like when our guys suck at their jobs, somehow the American people are just going to look at how terrible the Democrats are. And they'll never vote for that. Then how did Barack Obama get elected, guys? How did Jimmy Carter get elected? Friggin' peanut farmer. How did Bill Clinton get elected? Everything that came out about him. That's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. When the number one claim of the Republican is, look how bad my opponent would be. When does that guy win? Earth five. It just never works. This strategy doesn't work. It works in conservative media because we're conservatives producing content for conservatives. We already understand and assent to what we about the left that we understand and know is bad, evil. We don't want. But that's not the way the whole country thinks. The idea that because Joe Biden doesn't know his damn name. You can just, your president can have 40 million people unemployed is a lie that we're just telling ourselves because it's good for clicks. That's just not the way people think. Hell, the dude lost 40 house seats when he had record economic growth. Did we just forget there was a midterm election a year and a half ago? Did that happen, Aaron? I don't know anymore. He lost 40 house seats. With record economic growth. What's going to happen with 40 million people unemployed and 17 weeks of a million or more unemployment claims? If the Republican Party doesn't become the party of reopening, it's going to get annihilated, not lose, wiped the bleep out, wiped out because it will not be able to withstand the emotion of team lockdown. That's team Democrat. They need a galvanizing issue. We're the party of reopen. We're team sanity. The Republicans. Starting with Trump. And, but you can't be that when you've got Republican governors like Abbott, Ducey, etc. DeWine. Has, has a politician ever been more appropriately named ever than Mike no. DeWine? All that guy does is whine and irradiate, irradiate sperm counts. The birth rate in Ohio must be plummeting from people there that just cannot conceive after reading his Twitter feed. Who was the governor before him? Kasich. <laughs> Thank you. 
Aaron, with a nice reminder, it can always get worse. All right. But if it, if elections worked this way, then Jeremiah Wright would have prevented Barack Obama from ever getting to the presidency. Bill Clinton dodging the draft to go give a speech in the Soviet Union would have prevented him from ever winning the presidency. It didn't. Elections don't work this way because most Americans don't work this way. We do, but most Americans don't. We're going to stick around and do best of the worst of the week for the overtime. For Blaze TV subscribers, for the rest of you, have a great weekend. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.